This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, welcoming you to Week in Review for April 22, 2011. In the news this week, privacy advocates in Maine are supporting a proposed state law that would require that patients opt in to participate in the state's health information exchange before clinicians can access their records via the HIE. Under the HIE's current procedures, a patient's information is automatically included in the exchange's database unless the patient opts out. This opt-out policy is widely used among the nation's HIEs, a survey last year showed. The legislation would require that healthcare providers give patients an opt-in form that they could use to indicate whether they want their information shared over Health InfoNet, the statewide HIE. Invoicing support for the bill, Shanna Bellows, executive director of the Maine Civil Liberties Union, said, patients should have a choice as to whether they want their private medical records to be shared in a statewide database. Patient privacy and consent need not be barriers to improving coordinated care, Bellows said. In this week's featured interview, Devin McGraw, co-chair of the Privacy and Security Tiger Team, which advises the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, describes the team's most recent recommendations. She also outlines several topics the group will tackle next and seeks input on other issues that need to be addressed. Here's a clip from that interview. Most of our work to date has been sort of assuming a, a world of what we call push transactions, where the, the data holders are the initiators of, of disclosure and make, their, make decisions about who to share uh, data from, from their records, with whom to share data. And, and that it's a different environment when you talk about a query response type model where you have a patient and you're looking for data that is about him or her and you need to go out and find it in the in the health information exchange ecosystem. And, you know, even HIPAA doesn't really have that many rules about how you collect data. It has a lot of rules about what you can do with data once you have it. And so, you know, we had a lot of discussion on our last call about looking at query response models. We want to make sure that we've taken care of the policy gaps even with respect to push transactions. And then I think ultimately we want to get beyond the sort of primary data uses that are part of meaningful use and think about secondary data uses too. But we want to build the foundation for the primary uses and make sure that that's strong and then move on from there. But we'd love to get input input from the public about about where the gaps are and where um, we should go from here. I'll be back after a short break with the rest of our weekly review. Are you responsible for your institution's regulatory compliance program? Do electronic medical records, patient privacy, or data breaches keep you up at night? Do you have any certifications which require continuing professional education credit hours? The solution to your problems may be the HealthCareInfoSecurity.com Educational Webinar Library. You'll find plenty of courses that align with your core responsibilities. Visit HealthCareInfoSecurity.com for more information on how to access these webinars. Welcome back. Also in the news this week, participants in a pilot project claim they've demonstrated that using interoperable digital identities, digital signatures, and cloud computing has the potential to accelerate the initiation of clinical trials of new drugs and treatments while lowering costs. The first phase of the pilot involved researchers at the National Cancer Institute's Cancer Therapy Evaluation Program, 
the world's largest sponsor of cancer treatment clinical trials, and Bristol-Myers Squibb. The researchers used interoperable digital identity credentials. The software, installed on a computer, cell phone, or other device, establishes a close link with the user's proven identity and allows for the application of digital signatures to electronic documents, according to a white paper on the project. Digital signatures cryptographically guarantee the integrity of documents to which they are fixed. Researchers say the study showed that certain paper-based processes now used to initiate clinical trials can be eliminated using the new technologies. In the pilot, electronic documents were placed in the cloud where researchers were able to access and sign them. Previously, a paper-based process required use of a courier service, fax, or other time-consuming methods of obtaining a signature. Be sure to check out healthcareinfosecurity.com for all the latest news, interviews, blogs, and more. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.